Let's begin with prayer. Father, we rejoice this morning in your goodness. Your mercy endures forever. So we come before you this morning, Father, and we submit ourselves to you anew again, and we ask you to open our hearts to get a new understanding of you, of your heart, to see your love and your beauty. Father, we need you to do a work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts, that we could see that your grace is greater than our sin, that your cross stands to meet our every need. So draw our hearts to you. Give us a new understanding, a new revelation of your word. So we trust you, Father, to do something for us, to us, that we cannot do ourselves. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles over to Luke chapter 15. We'll begin with verse 11. Read down through 24. Very familiar passage. If you've been in church very long, you've heard it many times. Luke 15, 11. Then Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land. He began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to make merry or to celebrate. Some of the great authors, including Charles Dickens and Wadsworth, have said that this is the greatest story ever written. I read this to you out of the New King James. Uh, Phil Kerr rewrote this uh, in a more relevant way to us. He just calls it the prodigal son in Melody F, and so let me share that with you, because if we repeat it, your mind will get it, because repetition is the secret of learning. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained fellow forced his fond father to fork over the farthings and flew far to foreign fields. Frittered his fortune, feasting fabulously with faithless friends. 
Fleeced by his fellows in folly and facing famine, he found himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard. Fairly famishing, he fain would have filled his frame with foraged food from fodder fragments. Fooey, my father's flunkies, fair far finer. The fragile fugitive forlornly fumbled, frankly facing facts, frustrated by failure and filled with foreboding, he fled forthwith to his family. Fallen at his father's feet, he forlornly fumbled, Father, I flunked, and fruitlessly forfeited family fellowship flavor, favor. Farsighted father, forestalling further flinching, frantically flagged the flunkies. Fetch a fatling from the flock and fix a feast. The fugitive, fault-finding brother, frowned on fickle forgiveness of former falderall. But the faithful father figured filial fidelity is fine, but the fugitive is found. What forbids fervent festivity? Let the flags be unfurled, let fanfares flare. Father's forgiveness has formed the foundation of the former fugitive's former fortitude. This story is profound, but it's so clear that even a third grader could understand it. It's popularly known as the story of the younger son, the prodigal son, but the main person in this story is the father. Jesus starts out saying a certain man. So Jesus uses this story as a way to show his own heart, actually what he is like. So this younger son comes to a place where he doesn't want anything to do with the family ever again. He wants no responsibility. He doesn't care what happens to his family. He doesn't care what happens to his father and mother as they age. And he wants no accountability at all. He just wants freedom. He wants independence. He wants to get away as far as possible, not to have to answer to authority anymore. Unbelievable the way he... Uh, ask his father. Uh, in the Jewish culture, to dishonor your parents was about the most serious sin that you could commit. He asked in such a way to dishonor him, so disrespectful. If I was him, I would have slapped him across the face. That's me. But instead, the father gives him everything that he wanted. The father was willing to pay the price of rejected love. That's the most painful experience. Some of you know about that. The most painful human experience there can be, uh, whether it be a divorce or unfaithfulness uh, in a marriage. To so the one who actually loves, it's the greatest pain, agony that a human can have. But God gives every sinner his freedom. So we can make choices. He gives us breath. He gives us time. He gives us strength. He gives us money. And lets us make our own decisions. So this story shows a picture of a sinner. A sinner who doesn't love God at all. Doesn't care about his future with God. Does not care about God. Doesn't want anything else to do with God. Doesn't want to have to answer to God in the end. Doesn't want anything to do with the family of God. Doesn't want to submit to God. Does not care about having a re love relationship to God. So God gives sinners their freedom. Let's us make our decisions. This young man went out and trashed his life. Being rebellious. 
living an immoral lifestyle, it says later in the story. So sin is rebellion against the Father. Rebellion against his love relationship, against his authority, against the Father's will. The son really wished he had no father. But he wants the benefits of a father. He wants his money. Some people wish there was no God, wish that God was dead. But when we don't love God, we dishonor him. C.S. Lewis said, if a man does not love God completely, he doesn't love God at all. To not want anything in your life except to be happy, making your own decisions, just living according to your own wants is reckless, it's selfish, and it's evil. So when you look at this story, people often ask, why did God, why did the Father give him the money and what he was asking for, what he wanted, when he knew what he was going to do with it? Doesn't God give us money, strength, life, friends, family, houses, car, food, breath, family. When we're in our sin, before we're saved, until we come to the place of seeing things correctly, till we come to our senses, it says this prodigal son, when he was out in the pig pen, he came to his senses. He began to think straight. Well, God does this for all of us because the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. So I want us to think a little bit about what God is like. God is all-powerful, but yet he's patient with us. He's almighty, but yet he's merciful. He's the Lord of all, but yet he loves everyone. He loves us with an unconditional, everlasting love, and he draws no lines on us as we move through our life. So what does he think about when he creates a perfect universe, puts two perfect people in it, and then he watches them sin? He sees them walking toward the forbidden tree to eat the forbidden fruit. He sees them moving along this trail. So what does he think? What does he think as he watches all the murder in the world? As he sees wars, drunkenness, divorce, adultery, homosexuality, AIDS, pornography. How does God feel? What does he think as he looks at how we live out our lives in this world? Because we've turned his paradise into a pig pen. So I think we need to think about what does God see? How does he feel about this? When he sees a perfectly formed baby that he created in the mother's womb, and he sees her go into an abortion clinic and sees that baby being ripped apart and murdered, what does God think? When he hears the gun go off and he sees us murder our neighbor, or when he sees an earthly father rape his nine-year-old daughter, what does God 
think? What does he feel like when he sees the people he created for his glory living in rebellion and into sin? Does he feel anger and disgust as some of you do as you hear some of these things in the years? We've gone through several of these instances, these cases, working through these with people. So what does God feel? If you were God, would you kill some people before they got to the place they were going to do what they were going to do? Would you have caused the planes to go around the World Trade Center? Well, God gives sinners their freedom. He lets us make our decisions, our choices. So after this young man, after he had left, after he left his father, after he had spent all the money with the partying and prostitutes, after his friends had all deserted him, after the famine had been so hard on him, is the most wonderful part of this story. It shows how God loves sinners. And I love this part of the story. It shows the great love of God for messed up people. Not you, but people in other churches or out on the street. <laughs> Jesus is teaching us that the father in this story really represents Jesus himself. The prodigal son represents the repentant sinner. And I hope as we move through this, you can, hopefully this is all of us. I hope we can see that this is all of us. So I want us to look at this father by going back and reading verse 20 again, where it said, the son arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So the first thing I want us to see here is that the father had compassion. Well, compassion is not a word we use a lot today. We hear it, but what is it? If you take the word grace and mercy, and love, and pity, and if you could put those all together into one word, the word would be compassion. Now, no one in the Bible is ever said to have compassion. There's no one ever described that way in all the Bible. But a clear picture of that is the thief on the cross when Jesus is forgiving him, Compassion always thinks about what would be the best possible thing for this person next to me. What would be the best for this person? So the father was longing and waiting, and the son was out being sinful, rebellious, but said he was having compassion. And it says here in verse 20 that the father saw him. The father was probably looking for him, Uh, day after day after day, praying, hoping, uh, praying that his son would come home. And one day, he was sitting there on the porch, looking down the road, and he saw someone. And he thought, could this possibly be? Could this possibly be? He jumped out of his chair. He ran off down the porch, probably his old gray hair blowing in the wind. And he thought for sure, this must be my son. But when he saw him, he got closer, knew it was him. He had, his heart was filled with compassion. His emotions, his feelings were stirred up inside of him. As he got closer, he could see his son. He was skinny, sickly, dirty, 
young man. But you know, the father didn't stand there with his hands on his hips and say, about time, boy. I knew you'd crawl back here someday. What right do you have? Who do you think you are? You've totally destroyed the family name. You've disrespected yourself. You've wasted your inheritance. You've dishonored me. Who do you think you are coming back to this place? See, he wasn't full of anger. His response was compassion or pity. His desire was to hold him, to hug him, to kiss him. That was his heart. He, he was filled with exuberance, excitement. He didn't just stand there when he saw his son. He ran to him. And Jewish men in those days didn't run. They wore like a, dre a robe. <laughs> and uh, servants or women ran. But you sent someone, they didn't run. And he was pretty old. If I had time to prove to you, I think I could prove to you this young man was between 30 and 40 years old. When he got to his son, it said he fell on his neck. And possibly, probably the son fell at the father's feet. And said the father kissed him. Kissed him and kissed him. It's the same word in the Greek used for the immoral woman that came to Jesus and repeatedly kept kissing the feet of Jesus. So the heart of this father was just overflowing compassion, not restrained, not hesitant, but he was excited. And the son begins to confess, begins to ask forgiveness, but the father wouldn't even hear him out. The father just starts hugging on him and kissing him. The son probably looked down at himself and his, see his bare feet, his raggedy clothes, and be thinking something like, oh, what a mess I am. And the father didn't care at all. Just another hug would come. Some of your versions in your Bible will say, and he kissed them much. In the Greek, the words are earnestly, intensely, without ceasing, eagerly, or often. So this is the picture of the overflowing God of a sinner that's coming home. And oh, how God loves sinners. God walks over to the edge of a pig pen. Today it would be a hospital bed, a prison cell, and says, I love you. In the middle of the mess that we make. But oh, how much we struggle with the love of God. I believe each one of us, Paul prayed different places, but in Ephesians 3, 18 and 19, Paul prayed that you may be able to understand or comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you're a Christian this morning, you know the feeling of the love of God. When you knew for the first time that you were right with him. There was such a joy rising up inside of your heart. You felt like singing. You felt like dancing. But the kissing of this father meant complete forgiveness. 
showing this son that all of his sins were forgiven despite all that he had done. So the kissing meant full restoration. The kissing shows the overwhelming love and joy of the father. The father just wants to celebrate. But he could see the condition of his son. Verse 20 there says, and he saw him. He could see what he was like. And the son coming home was very, uh, very different than when he left. I believe he was barefoot, stinky, piggy. So the father saw him in his wretchedness, in his lostness, but, the, but his heart was still compassion. Well, what if the father decided to treat him exactly as he deserved for what he had done? Do you ever think that way? Do you ever feel like you should answer somebody, talk to them, uh, respond back to them? You know, they at least should feel the pain that they've caused in your life. They should at least understand what they've done to you. You know, when someone does you wrong intentionally, on purpose, disrespected you, hurt you, and it was on purpose, do we have compassion do we want to forgive them? You know, this is the hardest thing as Christians we have to do. Every one of us has many things in our life that have been done wrong to us. That's part of living in this world. And we can forgive all things except for maybe one or two. And then we struggle with compassion. We struggle with forgiveness. And we know that because the tape keeps rerunning. If we forgive, the next time is the first time. But we struggle with forgiveness. This father had compassion even though the son had totally degraded himself, had done everything possible to destroy the family's name. But the compassion of God is active. It's seeking it's saving. Even when we bring all of our own troubles, all of our own problems on ourselves. By choosing to sin. In our rebellion, God has compassion. I want us to, to grab hold of that. So this is the picture of the heart of God. When a sinner is repentant and comes back to him, God is overflowing with excitement at, us, at our coming back to him. So this is God's attitude. I think we have a clear picture of this given to us in Ezekiel 33, 11. Listen to this. Say to them as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die? God is pleading that people would turn and turn in repentance and come back to him. Paul in 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God wants everyone to be saved and everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. John 3.16, he says, For God so loved everyone uh, in the world. He gave his one and only precious son that whoever believes in him, whoever accepts him, would not have to be damned to hell, but would be given eternal life. The love of of God. See, lost people matter to God. God loves and is eager to receive 
sinners. And it's so clear to see the heart of God as we see Christ on the cross, how he gave his life. The clearest picture we have of the love of God is watching Jesus live out his days here on the earth, loving people. He came to seek and save the lost, and that's behind everything else in all the Bible. The whole Bible lies behind that statement as the purpose of why God sent Jesus, as to why Jesus came to this earth, seek and save the lost. He preached He served, he washed feet, he met needs, he loved, did many good works. He was fulfilling the vision, the mind and the heart of the Father, wanting to save lost people. He goes to the cross and he begs for the forgiveness of those men who are murdering him. He suffers and he gives his life for those who are killing him and he does that for us. So I think as we read this story, there should be no doubt in our mind that this is the heart of God. This is what God is like. He longs, he desires, he wants us to come to him. If you're a father this morning, you have an adult child that's out living in rebellion, you know what I'm saying is true. You know you would give anything to see them come back to God to be saved. You would beg him to come home because that's how God is. So here in verse 20, the son is coming back and so what does God see when a sinner is coming back to him? Does he see a mind that's polluted with pornography and lust? Does he see a mind uh, that is totally selfish? Does he see a body that's wasted by drugs or uh, STDs? Does he see a life that's filled with pride and selfishness? Does he see someone who's cruelly insulted their parents? What's he going to see? What's he going to see? I've got four quick pictures here I want to show you uh, that illustrates this for me. This is Ginger Grafton, and uh, we got a call from the Department of uh, Corrections, Pardon and Parole in Sacramento, California. They said she's the meanest woman in the state of California. She's been in prison 38 years in solitary confinement. 17 years was the longest of any woman in the history of the United States. Governor Schwarzenegger, who was governor at the time, said don't ever let her out. She has to die in prison. When Jerry Brown became governor, he said, let's give her a try. So they called us and said, do you want us to to parole her to you? And we said, yes, yes, yes. Angelina Lewis. This lady uh, stabbed her boyfriend 25 times to death, was assigned to Vicki by the Sheriff's Department to counsel her weekly for one year as she was awaiting her trial for murder. John Schwab. John Schwab moved in next door to us in 1983. He was a bad man. This is his own testimony. I texted him the other day and said, tell me uh, what I could say. Bad man in the middle of his second divorce, a beer drinking, smoking, cussing, immoral druggie. That's his own description of himself. He was messed up. Richard Steinhardt. 
he, uh, that's actually police footage. He was a hitman. Uh, you can see his story. Paramount made a two-hour movie. Uh, uh, you can watch his story on Oprah, but there's many cuts in it because every time he kept saying Jesus, Jesus, and giving his testimony, they'd cut him off. Uh, he was one of uh, Hell's Angels, which was considered in those days the worst motorcycle gang in America before he went to prison. So when God sees our life, what does he see? He sees everything that we ever were ashamed of. As you're listening to this, you can make your own list. You can look into your own heart. You can look into your own past. And you see the things that you're most embarrassed about. You can see the things that you're most ashamed of. And here's something I want to make clear. About this prodigal son, I don't doubt at all because of talking to people in my personal experience. The month before this young man came home, uh, the devil, I believe, would jump on his back and say, you are a Jewish boy and you've sinned too far. Your daddy is not going to take you back. You've wasted your, his money You've lived the party life. He's not going to go for that. You've disgraced his name. You've become a keeper of pigs. You've sinned beyond your father's ability to forgive you. Listen to this. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. When you feel like you've sinned too far, there will be right with God again. I tell you on the authority of the word of God, that's a lie of the devil. When, when you begin to think that you're now you're second rate because your past is so bad. When you begin to think that you are going to spend the rest of your life in the penalty box. Even if you go, get to go to heaven when you die. It's not true. Just say... As the prodigal son did, I have sinned. He repented. I'm studying the clock because I got to figure out where to go here. <laughs> this prodigal son in the pig pen, he saw the truth about himself and took full responsibility. He didn't say, I have a dysfunctional brain. I'm, uh, God created me wrong. I have a chemical imbalance. It's not my fault. I'm bipolar, schizophrenic, and my parents uh, messed up my whole life. He wasn't justifying his life, uh, seeing himself as a victim. He said he saw himself correctly. And then he confessed. He said, I am not worthy. He was filled with sorrow. He hated his sin. He hated what he had done. He stopped and turned and he said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back to the father. And he dealt with restitution and saying to his father, I'll work for you as a slave. I will work. Uh, he, he was willing to make restitution and then he gave just a full on pursuit of a relationship with his father that was correct in developing and building a right relationship, a love relationship with his father again. I'd like to take an hour and talk about repentance. We can't, but they give you a concept. But he comes home and oh, what a celebration they have. The father says, bring out the best robe, bring out a ring, bring out shoes, kill the fatted calf. This is the happiest day there could ever be. And I can just imagine as they're sitting around the table 
uh, eating that night, that the, uh, having a great time, the old father would look over at the son, big old tears would just start streaming down his face, filled with joy, thinking this is just almost too good to be true. But you know, in Christ Jesus, we can be brought to the Father through the blood of Christ. His father saw him, saw him in his messed up condition, but he also saw what he could become, could see his future, could see what will be out there for him. So I want to show you four, these four examples again and show you uh, what became of them so far. She lived with us uh, for a year, Vicki discipling her through that year. She worked with us in the church on staff and one of the greatest blessings we've ever had in our life. Angelina Lewis, still in prison, sideways, uh, and uh, is still in prison today. With Vicki's help, she wrote two books that were published, uh, Christian books, John Schwab, John Schwab, uh, we led, he became our next door neighbor in 83. We led him to the Lord and discipled him. He uh, has worked 27 years in various ministries, discipling, especially prison ministries. He's an ordained uh, pastor for Calvary Chapel and has an incredible, powerful ministry. Richard Steinhardt. And, uh, okay, but why is the gate and why is the land clean to destruction? There are many 
He was preaching here at a church where I was a pastor in 1991, but he was paroled to John Schwab, the fellow before, who was our next-door neighbor that I was discipling. When he came out of prison, uh, John turned him over to me and said, you, uh, you disciple him. And uh, so I started teaching him uh, ministry. He went to work in a drug and alcohol rehab ranch and uh, had one of the most powerful ministries of any man I've ever worked with uh, until he died of AIDS four years later. So God can see what we can become. So when he looks at us with compassion, he's looking at our future. So when we come back to God in repentance, he runs eagerly to meet us. He falls on our neck. He kisses us. Uh, he doesn't wait till we're all cleaned up and get our act together and find, find out that everything is good and our clothes are all changed. And, uh, but he speaks words of love to us. He forgives us. He revolutionizes our life. He totally changes everything cleanses us from our sin. He raises us up spiritually and gives us new life. He justifies us just as if we had never sinned. It's not just a little makeover. It's a complete takeover. He makes us his child. He sanctifies us and gives us the clothes of his righteousness. He opens up all the treasures of grace to us. He equips us and allows us and teaches us and gives us a future ministry. So this father, he says, my son who was dead, who was lost, is now found. But this new relationship as he come, comes home is based on open-faced, true repentance of this son. But also you have the unrestrained compassion and acceptance of the father. We all struggle with relationships. If you have a broken relationship, what you have to do is look at yourself and see what part that you play in that and then take responsibility for that and then repent of the part that plays in your life. You know, the fact they've got problems, of course that person has problems. Of course they did you dirt. Of course they are wrong. Of course they are all messed up. But their problem isn't your problem. We have to take full responsibility for repentance. Calvin and Hobbes, comic strip. Some of you are old enough to know this. Calvin is saying to Hobbes, nothing I do is my fault. My family is dysfunctional. My parents won't empower me. Consequently, I'm not self-actualized. My behavior is addictive. I'm functioning in a disease process of toxic codependency. I need holistic healing and wellness before I'll accept any responsibility for my actions. Hobbes standing there just says, you know, one of us needs to take our head in a bucket of ice. Calvin says, I love this culture of victimhood. Every one of us has been sinned against. We need to let them know that we want to forgive them. That we want to show compassion. See, God wants us to see his love. Then he wants us to pass that on to someone else. See, when we see the love of God, then what that does, it melts our hearts. It causes us to begin to believe the gospel. It draws us to God. 
because the goodness of God leads us to repentance. But oh, the love of Jesus. It just goes beyond anything. You know, God is love. It's, it's common for us to say God has love or God does love. But what the Bible says, God is love. I don't understand why he loves some of us. No, all of us. No, he loves us for no good reason. See, he loves us because of who he is. Not because of who we are, what we've done, not because we've earned something. See, do you love people because they agree with you? Do you love people because of what they are like or what they have done? See, God loves us because in his heart, he loves. His heart is love. As you hear this this morning, no doubt when there's this many people, there are some who've not yet received Christ. I want you to feel the tug of God. I want you to think as you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And I want you to see what it's like, the heart of God as we come back to him. And I want you to realize that God the Father is waiting. He's looking, he's waiting with a heart of compassion. God doesn't care anything about your past. All he cares about is the direction that you're willing to face today. I would encourage you to run to the Father. To come home. He'll receive you. He'll rejoice over you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace, forgiveness, compassion, we ask you to give us the, uh, the power, the desire, the faith to live out the truth of who we are in you, who you've created us to be, what you've made available to us with the hope and the riches that you give to us and so that we can live as victory, in victory in this world as your children because of the reality of who you are and the work of grace you've done in us. We thank you. We praise you. We ask you this week that we could represent you properly, that we could have a heart like yours. We thank you for making it possible. In Jesus' name, amen.